0: Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Happy New Year. I got a little bit of junk going on here, and I will tell you why. Because I shaved, okay? That's what I get for shaving. I get sick, right? My wife is like, though, that has nothing to do with it. I'm like, prove it. Prove it. That's why I'm sick. It's coming back, y'all. It's coming back. Hey, Happy New Year. I want to say this has nothing to do with the sermon. I just want to offer you just a little bit of a word of encouragement. Um, We don't really do New Year's themed stuff here. We just kind of go with the gospel and see what happens. A lot of you probably have New Year's resolutions or you set goals and things like that. Whatever, if that's your thing, awesome. I just want to let you know this. If you did that, you're, you're going to have screwed that up by mid-February, okay? And that's okay. The hope is this, and I, and I really mean this. I'm kind of speaking in jest, but I do really mean this. The Bible tells us this, that, God, that God's mercies are new how often? Every day, every morning. So not if, but when you fail with whatever you decide to do this year, when you wake up that next morning, it's like New Year's Day again. Every day for a, for a follower of Jesus, man, like His mercies are new every morning. And that's good news to us. So I just want to offer you that uh, word of encouragement, all right? So we're going to dive into the book of Acts, okay? Today's going to be boring. I'm just going to tell you straight up. We've got to lay some groundwork. We've got to know where we're going, kind of what this book is about. Uh, so we're going we're, we're to have to do that if we're going to do this book justice in the future. What I'm hoping happens is that there's a, a reorientation uh, of our hearts, maybe a refocus for us, uh, maybe that we would recalibrate. And I'm talking about us as a church, Hill City, but I'm also talking to you as an individual. So as we talk about this, this call that God would have on our lives, I'm talking about individual call on your life and then a call on this church and this church body that you are a part of, okay? Let me, let me pray and then we'll jump in. Does that sound All right doesn't matter if it does, I'm praying. (laughs) Bow your heads, please. God, we love you and we love your word. We thank you for the gift of your word. We're going to dive into this book of Acts, Lord, and and my prayer this morning and throughout this semester is that while we look at this book and see where uh, the church was born, that through this book that you'll open our eyes and that we will behold you and the wonderful things that you'd have for us. So may your spirit be in this place today. You're here. You're welcome here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let, let me just start by saying this. We're not going through this book verse by verse. It's going to be a flyover, fly through. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You need to read the book of Acts. Okay, you need to read a couple chapters a day, maybe a couple chapters a week. It's gonna better, uh, you're going to better understand what's going on on stage if you will do that. So make sure you dust off your Bibles or get your apps out uh, and just start reading the book of Acts. I also need to let you guys know this. Likely at some point through this series, each of you will be offended. Now here's why. Because the gospel is in and of itself offensive. And this whole book of Acts is about the advancement of, you got it, the gospel all throughout the book, okay? This gospel starts on this tiny dot on a plateau in the Judean mountains and then it goes to the entire planet and we get to take that ride, and it's going to be offensive. Now, before we even dive into, also into an actual word from the book of Acts, I want to set the table on kind of some of the texts that we're going to come across. And some of these texts are going to be what we're going to call prescriptive texts. And then some of the texts are going to be descriptive texts. What do I mean by that? Prescriptive texts are those that prescribe to us how we ought to live. There are verses in Acts, there are passages in Acts we're gonna look at and we're gonna be like, yes, that's what we should do, right? They're general commands from the Lord that deal with our call as followers of Jesus. Prescriptive. And then there are texts in Acts that are descriptive. They just simply explain what took place. They describe what happened rather than telling us, do this. It's just simply a telling of the story of what happened. I'm going to give you two examples. These happen all throughout Acts. I'm just going to give you two. We're not even going to really go there today. So one is actually in chapter one, where they do this thing called casting lots. In other words, they rolled the dice. They had to pick a 12th person to replace Judas. If you remember, Judas betrayed Jesus, uh, betrayed Jesus, committed suicide. They needed to replace him to move forward. They had two guys. They're like, which one do we pick? I don't know. Let's roll the dice. It's you. Descriptive. That's not how we will appoint any church leadership here at Hill City, okay? <laughs> Although some of you are like, man, maybe we'll take our chances, all right? Here's another one. And maybe this is too soon, maybe it isn't, but in Acts chapter 9, we see Peter come to this woman's house, Tabitha, who's also named Dorcas. We'll stick with Tabitha for obvious reasons. (laughs) Raises Tabitha from the dead. Okay? Descriptive. And I know some things have gone on in our country and in church circles where there was a church that actually tried to do this. Okay? Listen, we're not going to go there today. I'm just telling you descriptive not prescriptive okay we the church have been burying our dead for years in hope of the return of Jesus when we will (laughs) right so we'll get to that but I need I'm only telling you that story to know this book is full of descriptive texts okay and we'll try to point them out now listen why are we going through the book of Acts? It isn't so that we can dissect it and teach you all, well, here are the prescriptive, here are the descriptive, here's what we believe as a church. We could do that. That isn't our goal for this semester, for this series. So why the book of Acts? Here's what we hope as we go through this book. We hope that you get a better understanding of the beginning of Christianity, of the beginning of the church. We are here in a theater in Springfield, Missouri, 2020, the church, still alive and well because of what happened here in the book of Acts. Okay? I want you to get a better understanding of that. We also hope that you understand this, that a group of ordinary, maybe you could even say below average dudes, turned the world upside down with the power of the Holy Spirit. They did not turn the world upside down because they were awesome. They turned the world upside down because they were faithful and they relied on God and they just did what God told them to do. Average, ordinary Joes. That's good news for the room, okay? We also want you to understand this as we go through the book of Acts, that we, a church, individually and church, are sent in the same way that the people of Acts were sent. Hill City Church is no longer this baby church plant. We have have moved into a different phase of life, okay, a different phase of existence, and in 2020 and beyond, we will become a sending church. And if we don't, you will likely have new pastors. We will be a sending church. Now, let's get into the context of this book of Acts. You know why we're going to go through it. Let me get, let's lay some more groundwork. Acts is the second volume of a two-volume work written by, yes, our doctor friend, Luke. We just spent two years in the book of Luke. This thorough historian wrote Luke and he wrote Acts and we could actually call the whole thing Luke-Acts, because that's how he did it, okay? Luke, the gospel of Luke, was written, and Acts 1-1 tells us this, it was an account of all that Jesus began to do. That was the gospel of Luke. Luke. So if Luke, the Gospel of Luke is all that Jesus began to do and to teach, then Acts, which is short of the Acts of the Apostles, is actually what Jesus continued to do and, more appropriately, continues to do 2020. So this book could actually more accurately be called the Acts of Jesus and the Spirit through the Apostles. Because that's what it is. And this book begins with the risen king, Jesus. And he promises them the spirit. He says the spirit's going to come, which is really just the way that he also promises this new kingdom. If you're an Old Testament uh, studier, you can go read about this. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 32, Ezekiel chapter 36, Joel chapter 2, which we're going to see uh, Peter uh, reference in his sermon. But there's this promise that the Spirit come. And then when this Spirit was was going to come, there was this promise of power. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read kind of the verse. Like this is the verse in Acts. And we are going to get to see all of this verse unfold as we journey through Acts. Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 6. I'll let you know when I get to the verse. It will be familiar to many of you. So here we have risen King Jesus, and then it says, so when they, in verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, here's the verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In v- verse 9, he goes on to say, And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This ascension takes place. Now the disciples here on the front end, are asking this question, which proves they're still a little bit unclear about this kingdom that Jesus has spoken about. They were still thinking political. They were still thinking local, national kingdom. Jesus announces, no, 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 I'm about a universal restoration of all things kind of kingdom. And they weren't exactly sure what that was. See, when we're in the book of Acts, we have to understand this is a transitional book. Now, I don't want to oversimplify that, but just stay with me here. Transitional book. Acts marks a transition from like Israel as, as known as God's chosen people, right? God's chosen people, Israel. We're going to see this transition to the church. If you are a follower of Christ, you are God's chosen. He chose you. Just let that sink in for a minute. And Acts marks this transition from this local movement and it becomes a global movement and it begins with Jesus proclaiming remember that word proclaiming the kingdom and it ends in Acts chapter 28 with Paul he's on house arrest and you know what he's doing while he's on house arrest what he's writing he's proclaiming the kingdom now, this kingdom you're going to hear us talk about a lot through this series is marked by the advancement of the gospel. The gospel. And Jesus says this, you will be my Witnesses, Right in the middle of the verse, verse 8, he says, you will be my witnesses. And we need to know this. The advancement of the gospel happens when it is proclaimed and then when the spirit goes to work. Let me give you some other examples all throughout Acts. Acts chapter 8, verse 12, we see them preaching. Good news about the kingdom. Acts chapter 19 verse 8. We see them reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom. Acts chapter 20 verse 25 speaks of proclaiming the kingdom. And again, Acts chapter 28 is Paul proclaiming the kingdom. He says, you will be my witnesses. You need to understand this. Hill City Church, witnesses speak. Like you ever go to a courtroom and they call a witness to the stand. If that witness says nothing, it is essentially utterly useless as a witness witnesses speak the idea that you can proclaim or preach the gospel without using words is very flawed and i know who it's attributed to saint francis of whatever he didn't say it let's just start there there's this quote out there, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And St. Francis of Assisi is the one who that's attributed to. You can study it. He didn't say it. And I'm glad he didn't say it because here's the deal. It's always necessary to use words when preaching the gospel. Now, should your life match what you are saying? 100%. But it just doesn't happen that somebody's sitting on the street and watches you walk by and go, oh, I love Jesus because of how they just walked by. That's not the gospel. No gospel proclamation took place. The gospel must be spoken. You will be my witnesses. Where? Where are you supposed to be my witnesses? The verse, verse 8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Now, quite simply, here's how we've heard this worded often. It's like, okay, you should do this in your city, then your state, and then your country, and then the world, right? Who's heard that before, right? When we're talking about Acts, it's so like Jerusalem is the city. Proclaim the gospel. you be my witnesses in the city of Jerusalem, then Judea, then and Samaria. And, and that's good. I just want to, let, let me just go a little bit further. So your city, that's where people are who generally look like you and walk like you and talk like you, Yeah? And and you're supposed to be witnesses to those people who you live around who are very familiar with your way of life. And then Judea. That's like a little bit further out. Still some familiarity. They kind of still look like you, maybe talk like you, act like you a little bit. There's some familiarity there. But then we go to Samaria. And that's like, okay, people might they, they don't live anywhere near where you live. And you have some things in common with them, but Your lives are lived very differently. Okay, listen, Springfield, Missouri, we don't live our lives like people in New York City. Fair enough? It's just different. And that's a good example, but let me give you another one. This was a very uh, racially sensitive thing for Jesus to say. Samaria, like Jews thought they were so much better than Samaritans who were mixed breed. And I was like, no, Jews didn't go near. And Jesus said, no, no, no you're, you're gonna be witnesses to them. You're gonna be witnesses to the people who you aren't like and even to the people who you don't like for the wrong reasons. And then the ends of the earth, of course, we're gonna take the gospel to, to jungles, to, to cities the uttermost. That's where witness would take place. Now, the disciples, they did not fully understand what Jesus was saying, when he was saying this, but we get to watch all this unfold as we go through the book of Acts. So look at Acts chapter 1. We read it. Jesus gives them this mission. He ascends. And then I already told you, then they had to replace Judas, right? So we see this descriptive thing where they do this Vegas-style roll of the dice to pick a leader. And that takes us to Acts chapter 2. And it gets weird here, okay? Listen, it's wild. This thing called Pentecost, it's 50 days or, or close around 50 days after Passover, or in other words, it's a week of weeks. You can do the math. So let me explain this. You had this Feast of first fruits. You read about it in the Old Testament. This feast of first fruits took place at the beginning of the barley harvest. And then Pentecost, this was a celebration of the beginning of the wheat harvest. So the Jews called this the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. If you read in your Old Testament, you can read about these feasts in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This Feast of Weeks is what it's called in the Hebrew It's just translated Pentecost in your New Testament. So that's what's going on. It's it's kind of a party. Now, we're not all farmers, but like harvest is good. And they party around it. They partied a lot better than we party as as a culture. And that's what they're doing here. So they're hanging out. And then Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13 We see it happen, this thing Jesus promised. You remember in the Old Testament, Jesus is leaving. He's like, no, listen to me, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you something better. Something better than me walking shoulder to shoulder with you is my spirit inside of you. And that's what we see happen in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13. Now let me read a little portion of this. We won't read it all. Let me read a little portion of this and kind of explain what's going on, right? It says the Holy Spirit comes in, and I don't know exactly how it went down, but just imagine if it just kind of sounded like a, mighty, like a, like, like a huge waterfall or some tornado or something came to this room. It would be weird. I, I know it would be weird, but that's what the Bible describes. And then look at verse 3. It said, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5 Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. It's weird. I'm going to tell you something here, just based off of this passage, I'm not talking about other passages right now, I'm talking about this passage, okay? Divided tongues of fire, who has ever just been at a bonfire, like just, right, we're Missourians, we do this, okay, so imagine like, and then all of a sudden like a field catches on fire and then you panic and you're stomping, right? Okay, all of us have witnessed this, yeah, maybe just me. Maybe I'm not prepared. I just light the thing, all right? Okay, so imagine this theater being just filled, right? And all of a sudden down here, it's like, man, something weird starts happening. I don't understand what's going on. And then, and then it spreads. And then it's going all throughout the theater. And all of a sudden this weird stuff. And I don't understand all of it that's going on. And then the whole place, and it's like just spreads. Imagine that scene here. Now here's what is not debatable with this passage. This isn't up for discussion, this is how it went down. These were actual languages being spoken. These were not spirit languages. These were not just weird utterances of gibberish. These were actual languages of other nations being spoken by people who were not from those nations. And then what they were speaking was being understood by people from those nations. So go back to the spreading here. Here's what's going on. Now imagine that. Some of you probably took some Spanish. Some of you took some French, whatever. And all this weird talking going on. But you know, like, I, that, I think that would have been some Spanish over here. Oh, some French up in here. Some other, that's about as far as I go for even knowing what languages are spoken on this planet. <laughs> You get my point. They were real languages, guys. There were people in this crowd. The, the Bible tells us from every nation under heaven. Now how weird is that? That you were visiting somewhere from America you were visiting somewhere. You're an American, you're in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden somebody starts speaking English and it's the first time they ever did and you understood every word they said. That's kind of how it went down. So the people there were like, the people that were witnessing this, you had two different groups necessarily. You had some people that were seeing this and they were like, they knew something big was going on. This is a big deal. We better pay attention. This is a big deal, man. This is a movement like we've never seen. But then you had another group of people that were like, are they drunk? Like, did they bust out the wine at nine o'clock in the morning? What's going on here? And Peter sees this, and he addresses it. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 41, this is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. So he hears this, and he stands up, and he says, listen, listen, they're not drunk. I know you think they're drunk. got to hear me. They're not drunk. Let me explain what's going on. And we won't read his whole sermon here. But he explains to them, hey, they're not drunk. Then he quotes Old Testament, Joel. And then look what he does in verse 22. Chapter 2, verse 22. So he explains, hey, they're not drunk. Old Testament stuff. They said this was going to happen. Here we go. Men of Israel, hear these words. Okay, before I even read this, I'm just going to blow it for you. Spoiler alert. The words he's getting ready to proclaim is the gospel. He preaches the gospel. Jesus, that's a great way to start, by the way. If you're going to preach the gospel, the men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, See, God never lost control. When Jesus was going on the cross, God never lost control. That's what Peter says. He says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Oh, but God raised him up, losing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He goes on to say, look at this, he says it again. This, verse 32, this Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He preached the gospel, He proclaimed. The gospel and then the Holy Spirit took what he proclaimed and the Holy Spirit went to work. And look what happens. Verse 36 and 37. This is huge. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him. He's talking about Jesus. He just got done preaching Jesus. And here's what he says. God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus. Both Lord and Messiah, in other words. Whom you crucified. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Why were they cut to the heart? Yes, it was the Holy Spirit who did the work, but what did he use that Peter spoke? What is it? What is it that cut them? I'm going to give you two things. I'm give you two reasons why they were cut. And the two reasons are still relevant in 2020, right here in this theater today. Number one, they were cut because they realized they had been wrong about who Jesus was. They were wrong about who they thought Jesus was. See, Jesus came, what did he do? He forgave people's sins. And they said he was blasphemous. He came and he let people worship him, and he said things like, "It doesn't matter if you stop them, because if they don't worship me, the rocks and the trees are going to worship me." He came and he claimed, "I'm actually replacing your sacred temple as the center of worship." He came and he demanded absolute lordship of his followers. He came and he said this, I need to be more important to you than your dad and your mom than your husband and your wife. I need to be more important to you than your kids. He came and he said, I'm actually the only possible way you get to the Father in heaven. There is no other way. Now here's the thing. He came and he said all that, but that's not what his hearers wanted to hear. It's not what they wanted. It's not what they expected from their Messiah. It's not what they liked. It's not what they wanted, it's not what they expected, and it's not what they liked. So here's what happened, they killed him. The gospel that Peter preaches is this, you killed him, but God overturned what you wanted by raising Jesus from the dead. And again, he goes on to say in 36, let me read it again, therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. Lord meaning this, he's the creator of the world, he is supreme, he is Lord, and he is demands lordship over your life he is messiah he is the christ in other words everything you read about in the old testament he did it he fulfilled it he's the guy he's lord and he's messiah in short here's what peter says to the masses that's still relevant today 2020 you had your beliefs about Jesus. You had your opinions about Jesus. You had your beliefs and opinions about what he should do and what he shouldn't do. You had your beliefs and opinions about what he should say and what he shouldn't say. And your beliefs and your opinions were wrong. Now change your belief and your opinions. That's Peter's message. Now he, he used the word Repent. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? It's the same thing. So you have a group of people who believe the wrong thing about Jesus, and Peter had the courage to say, you were wrong, that's not the Jesus, that is not Jesus, and you need to change what you've always thought about Jesus. Hill City Church, what do you believe about Jesus? Just ponder that for a minute. Who is he? Like, what do you want him to be? I'm going to throw some ideas at you, right? Likely some beliefs in the room. Is Jesus simply our model for social justice? Is Jesus this great teacher who had great moral influence? Because by all means, we know that the Judeo-Christian values on which our country was founded, that Jesus gave us those. Is he one way of many ways to get to God? Maybe for some of you, it's like, man, I've heard of this hell thing. It doesn't sound great to me. I don't want to go there. I don't even know if I believe it exists, but if it does, I don't want that to happen to me. So I need to do what I can do with this Jesus guy so that that doesn't happen. Just so you know, at this church, we believe that there is an eternal separation from God for those who don't follow Jesus. That's real. When I was in college, here's the big thing, uh, it's, probably, it's not even cool anymore, but there were like shirts, it's like, Jesus is my homeboy. That was that many years ago, okay. I don't know, is he your homeboy? Is he a guy that you just go to when things like go south in your life, like, I don't ever acknowledge him, but man, some things are messed up in my life. I got to find him because that's what he is. Like he can help me through this. And then after you get through it, then you put him back on the shelf and you kind of do your thing. See, here's the thing, guys Jesus doesn't allow for us to relegate him to those things, he doesn't take the downgrade. If you hear anything today, you need to hear this. Jesus is Lord and King first. Does that show itself to be true in your life? we, We don't really do King stuff very well here in the United States, and I'm glad. I'm glad the way our government's set up, I love it, okay? But it's caused us to have a little bit of a lack of understanding of what real kingship and loyalty to a king is. Jesus demands it. His sermon, Peter's sermon is still relevant today. still relevant, see, because here's what happened, Jesus came and he told us exactly who it was and we can, or who he was, and we can go here and read exactly who he was. We don't need a further explanation of who Jesus was, we go here. And this is where we form our beliefs, and this is where we form our opinions about Jesus. And we, just like the crowds that Peter preached to, we then have the same intersection. We come to the same intersection where we have to ask, is Jesus who he said he was, or is Jesus who I say he is? crowds heard this, and they were cut to the heart because they realized they were wrong about Jesus. Here's the second thing that they realized that we must realize here today. And I know this is going to sound old school and, and, and all that, but listen, we, we have got to proclaim the truth here. Here is what the crowd realized. They realized after Peter preached the gospel that they were responsible for the death of Jesus. Verse 23, he says it, you who killed Jesus. Verse 36, he says it, you who killed Jesus. Now be careful, because some of you might be like, I'm not Jewish. Because what happens is people have taken this sermon of Peter and they've developed, misused this passage in anti-Semitic ways. And they claim that the Jews killed Jesus only they should be held responsible God doesn't allow that because here's what I know about the crowd the crowd that Peter spoke to when he said it was you who killed Jesus not everyone there literally took part in the killing of Jesus they didn't and some of the people who literally took part in the killing of Jesus weren't here at this party The Bible told us that people from all over the world were there. And yeah, you know, while they were Jewish, we can't miss the fact that people from every nation under heaven were there hearing this sermon that Peter spoke. And let, here, here's where we got to go with it. When you hear this, here's our conclusion. The whole human race killed Jesus. Peter was including himself, and here's how I know that, because you can read his account in the Gospels of his denial. We're very familiar with it, right? Peter, he knows he was responsible for killing Jesus, because you know what happened? After he denied him three times, he looked over, and he got eye contact with Jesus. In the middle of the suffering of the Christ, Peter denies him, catches eye contact with him, and you know what happened? He was cut to the heart, and he went away, and he wept bitterly. Because he knew in that moment, he's going there for me and for my denial. See, Peter knew he was responsible. I want you to hear me. I want you to go here with me, please. My sin killed Jesus. Jesus. My pride, my selfishness, my ungratefulness killed Jesus, my gossip killed Jesus, my insensitivity to the needs of others killed Jesus. Look at me, I'm not even talking about the bad ones, like I'm not even talking about the bad sins, right? church. Jesus saved me, rescued me from my sin. Okay, listen. Yes, he rescues us from our brokenness. Praise God, he rescues us from our shame. Yes, he rids us of our guilt. Yes, he takes our hurts away. Yes, he He comes through for us even in our failures. Yes, yes, yes. But hear me, Hill City Church, before all that, and actually more than anything, he saved me from my sin and the penalty of that sin. It's real. Never once did he tolerate sin like it pinned him to the cross. Isaiah 53 Chapter 5 and 6, very familiar passage. But he was pierced. Where did the piercing happen? On the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Now look, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. I can reword that. All of us are responsible for Jesus' death. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what the Old Testament said. And Peter just preached the gospel, and they were cut. They were cut to the heart. Now, check this out. This is insane. So those who received his word, verse 41, were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. Okay, listen. We've baptized 100 people. If if, if we keep that pace up, I'm going to let you all do the math on when we're going to get to 3,000. 3,000. How did that happen? How did... 3,000 in one day, one probably 30-minute talk. 3,000, how did it happen? It was it because Peter was so elegant in his speech? He's was an uneducated fisherman. Was he trained in public speaking? Is that what Jesus took his time doing in the last three years with Peter? Hey, here's how you talk in public. Did he have a cool little track? Talk to me, old people. You know know what those are. I bet he took a heck of an four-week evangelism class on here's what you do and here's when you say this and here's how you say this and it'll happen. Listen. It's an average Joe. And here's what he did. He just became a man on a mission, and he proclaimed the gospel. So we titled this, The Call. I already read to you, The Call. I'm going to read it again. Let this land on your ears, and then go to your heart. But you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the call. To be spirit empowered witnesses of the cross and not just the cross but the empty tomb to make disciples and to announce this good news of the kingdom. Some of y'all are like "That's nah, not for me. And I love you. If Jesus is your king, it's for you. You're not going to stand up in front of 5,000 people and preach the gospel. Probably no one in this room will ever get that opportunity. Maybe maybe one. Maybe one. But likely none of us. but God will use you if you just proclaim. And here's the thing, that's the easy, we've got the easy job. We proclaim, we speak it, and then the Holy Spirit has the hard work. Do you believe, do you understand that this is the call of God on your life. Because here's what I believe to be true. Your life, insofar as you give your life to bearing witness of your King, of Jesus, can, if you will obey, make such a difference. Like more of a difference than you've ever dared, imagined. And it won't be because you're awesome. Isn't that great news? It'll be because the Holy Spirit will use you and do big things through you. Will you be faithful? Let's pray.